Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, but after for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amy, for reading that. Well, let's just call it what it is, weird parable. What do you do with that? It's a strange one, right? Because Jesus frames this parable as being something that he's telling to encourage people to pray. And then you get this story about this, this judge who's just kind of a, seems like a terrible person to begin with. What's going on here? Last night, I was looking through some old photographs um, I was actually looking through my senior yearbook, my yearbook from, from when I was a senior in high school, and I came across a picture of the debate club. Now, if you've gotten to know Price and Melanie Rayner at all, one of the details of their story is they met kind of in debate club. At least I think that's the case. Is that right? You met in debate? Yes. So I'm looking at this picture of the debate club, and who should be in that photo but me? I was in the photo. Now here's what's funny about that. I have zero memory of being in the debate club. No memory at all. You know how like in a high school yearbook there's the photo and then there's that little caption next to the side that tells you who everybody is and it tells you like, you know, who's treasurer and secretary and all that stuff. So I was reading that. You guys, you're never gonna believe this. You know who was president of the debate club? me. I have literally no memory of this. I was the president of the debate club, apparently. The parable that we're looking at here, you're going to need somebody who is president of a debate club to explain it, I guess is the point. (laughs) It's not a comparison that Jesus is making between this judge and God. It's a contrast. And so if you happen to be the president of your debate team in high school, then you would, you would know that this is a logical form of argument called the a fortiori argument, which is another way of saying it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And what that is, an argument from the lesser to the greater, is an argument that says if something less likely is true, 
then something more likely will probably also be true. So you take the lesser and you say, if this lesser thing is true, this greater thing is probably also true. That's what's happening in this parable. So we're going to walk through it uh, quickly this morning. But I, I wanted to just set the table for understanding what is Jesus doing here? We've been taking time in, these, in this parable series to ask the question, why is Jesus telling this parable in the first place? What's the context? What's the occasion? If you go back to Luke 17, the chapter right before this, we read that this portion of Jesus' teaching came as he was passing between Galilee and Samaria. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he stopped in this village along the way. And there in that village, he healed ten lepers, he got into a conversation slash debate with the Pharisees there about when God's kingdom would come. And then he told his disciples about the coming kingdom of God. And this is where he said to them, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together and one will be taken and the other will be left. And then Jesus tells them this parable. So that's the context. He tells them this parable, and it's a parable about prayer. Luke tells us plainly, Jesus is telling them this as a parable so that they would understand the importance of prayer and not lose heart while they wait. At first glance, it's a weird parable because we could read it and we could, we could conclude that Jesus is comparing the unjust judge to God, and we should think then about God like the widow thinks about the unjust judge, that the goal in prayer is just to wear God down until he gives us what we want, as though this is the function of prayer. And this is where understanding that this parable is an argument from the lesser to the greater comes in. Because what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture of really the most undesirable and imbalanced situation possible. So let's look at the woman first in the parable. She's a widow. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for men in that era to die in their 30s or 40s or 50s. So we, so we shouldn't necessarily assume that this is an older woman. It's just that she was married and now she's not. And she needs the community to care for her. And so we assume that she's a person who's vulnerable. She's a person who needs the advocacy of others. And so this woman, this widow, comes to, comes to this judge, and she has an adversary. We don't know who the adversary is. We don't know what makes this person her adversary, just that she has one. There's an injustice that's been committed against her. She wants to square it up. And so she needs her community to care for her, and her only leverage that she has here is persistence. And so she just keeps coming to send the clear message that she's not going away until she gets some kind of satisfaction. And we can empathize with, with all of that, right? We can empathize with being in a position like that where the only thing that you can really do is just make as much noise as possible until somebody at least looks at you and acknowledges you. But since this is a parable about prayer, and Jesus tells us it's a parable about prayer, let's notice her posture toward the judge. Because she's not an ideal character in this parable either. And we see it in this way, that her, her, her prayer is just an ask. 
There's something she wants. Give me justice against my adversary. She doesn't have a personal relationship with this judge. She certainly doesn't love this judge. He is a means to an end for her. He's an appointed one for sure, but all her prayer is is an ask. Now, if you've spent any time at all studying prayer, we know that the the prayer life of a Christian should not just be asking God for stuff. When we look at the book of Psalms, for example, we see that much of the language of prayer is adoration, it's confession. Yeah, we ask God for things, but we do it in the context of worship, we do it in the context of confessing sin, we do it in the context of telling him, not my will, but yours be done, I yield to you. But often, I think if we're honest, When it comes down to prayer, what we really want is just to get to the business of asking God for the thing we want. I know that's the case in my life. And so this widow has no relationship with much less affection for this judge. She just wants something. Now let's look at the judge. He is the worst kind of person that there is. And Jesus sets that up. He makes that clear. He says, here is a person who has power, and yet he neither fears God nor respects other people. In fact, when the woman is persistent, he says, I don't want to listen to her because I don't fear God and I don't respect people. (laughs) Like he's on the nose about it, right? He knows that he's this way. He says so. But here comes this this widow who's been wronged, and she's asking him for justice. And at first he resists, and the reason he resists is because he doesn't care. But her persistence is what wears him down. And he knows if he doesn't do something... She's just going to keep coming, and she's just going to keep taking little nibbles out of his day until there's nothing left of it. And so he gives her justice, quote, so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming, end quote. The scenario that Jesus is describing here in, in calling us to pray and not lose heart is he describes a scenario that is transactional and cold. It's cold as ice. Both of the characters in this parable are looking out for their own interests, and their behavior is all about making the other one give them what they want. She wants justice, so she keeps coming. He wants peace, so he throws her a bone to get her to leave him alone. Is this how you see prayer? Is this what prayer is about? Peeling back God's hand so that he will acquiesce, because otherwise you'll just never leave him alone. Jesus is not telling us to see God as a disinterested person that we have to wear down. That wouldn't make any sense at all. Neither is he comparing the unjust judge to God. He's contrasting the two. This is the lesser to the greater. Even if the unjust judge, here's what he's saying, even if, if, if even this unjust judge who doesn't care at all for the persistence of this widow eventually responds to her, how much more will God, who loves you and loves you perfectly, respond to your prayers perfectly? He says it this way in verses 7 and 8. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. 
if this judge who feels no obligation to this woman will act, how much more will God respond and give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? What Jesus is saying is God's people don't cry out to God day and night because he doesn't listen. He's saying we cry out to God day and night because he does listen. We cry out to him in prayer because he hears, because he loves us. He's not some moody old judge in the sky who's annoyed with our questions and our hopes. He takes delight in us. And he calls us his own. And so we don't come to him from a purely transactional posture. We don't treat him like a genie in a bottle who grants us wishes. We come to him as his people who are known and who are loved by him. And we cry out to him because he listens to us and because he answers our prayers. Listen, he doesn't always answer with a yes but he always answers in love. Sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's wait. C.S. Lewis said this in a grief observed when he was talking about his prayers before the Lord in his sorrow. He said, when I lay these questions before God, I get no answer but a rather special sort of no answer. It's not the locked door. It's more like a silent, certainly not uncompassionate gaze, as though he shook his head not in refusal, but waving the question, like, peace child, you don't understand. Sometimes God's answer to us when we plead with him for something is peace child, you don't understand. What that means is the Lord understands the complexity of our desires. He understands the complexity of our requests before him on a level that is far deeper than we understand the complexity of our requests before him. And so when he says yes to what is so obvious to us an indication that we're seeing something clear, we feel like, yes, I understand what it is that you're doing. But when he says no to what is so obvious to us, he's telling us that he sees what we can't see. And he's loving us. He's loving us in the no. He's loving us in the not yet. And he's loving us even in waving the question entirely, peace child, you don't understand. And at the end, Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What's he saying there? He's saying this kind of persistent prayer is an expression of faith. It's, it's not just that, it's a cultivated faith. It's a practiced faith. It's a habit of prayer. It's the persistence that shows faith in the recipient of the one to whom we pray. Faith in him. I'm trusting. I'm coming to you again and again and again because I trust you to receive my prayers perfectly. This is faith. 
coming to God with our questions and our fears and our needs and our confusions and our hopes and our griefs and laying them before him and asking for his help and asking for his love. And faith is also the returning again and again, whether he answers no or yes. Saying as Simon Peter did, when Jesus asked his disciples if they would fall away, Simon Peter said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. The commentator Daryl Bach said this. He said, the answer to the dilemma of prayer is that it is not intended to do something for God, but for us. It is one of the mechanisms of relationship that God gives to his children to be in touch with him. God may not need prayer, but we do. How so, we might ask? How is prayer for us? As Jesus already suggested, though we pray to God, he may not always be quick to answer as we'd like. And we may respond by beginning to think that the most important part of our prayer life is the answers that we get out of that, the answers that come as a result. And what we're seeing here is that's not what matters most. It's the relationship that we have with the one we pray to that matters most. Do we know him? Do we bear our souls to him? Do we trust him? Does our habit of drawing near to him hinge on how we view his performance for us? God is nothing like the judge in this parable. He's holy. He is loving. He's invested in our well-being because we're not just some random person knocking on his door, but we're his children. And we are nothing like the widow in that we do not have to pester God to bend him to our will as though his posture toward us is one of indifference or resistance or annoyance. Persist in prayer, yes. Cultivate the habit of prayer, yes. Daily, regularly, yes. Bear your soul to him, yes. But not to convince God to love you and throw you a bone. Persist because he loves you. And he wants to bring the cares of this life. He wants you to bring the cares of this life to him as a habit of your being, that I bring all of these things to him, knowing that every answer that he gives will be out of love and it will be for your good and it will be perfectly wise. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that even now as I pray at the conclusion of a sermon that you are listening that you are hearing and that you are working in ways that it doesn't even occur to us to ask. And so we thank you for that, Father, for being wise and knowing and loving and faithful. Father, I thank you for this time of worship this morning with all of the sounds of children being in the room and the baptisms and the new membership and, and the singing and the confession of sin and the, and the recap of Vacation Bible School and Lord, you, you call us into this community of faith where we, where we pray together and we come to you again and again asking for you to care for us 
and asking to give us eyes of faith to see the way that you're working in us. And so, Lord, continue to do that and deepen us as a community to come alongside and encourage one another in this. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.